If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Coffee and California Politics. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, give it a minute to let everybody hop on and join in. Everyone join in with their coffee. Someone was making fun of me in my DMs. The way I say coffee. Coffee in politics. Coffee. I didn't think it was that noticeable. I always thought my New Jersey accent um, has kind of faded away the longer I've spent in California, but I guess not. I guess it's there's still some things I say like coffee and dog and stuff like that. I'm not like those East Coasters. Like, I, can you get me some water? Like, that's really thick. Um, a lot of people, when I meet them, and they're like, oh, you're from New Jersey? Um, you don't have an accent. Well, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not the situation from from Jersey Shore. You know, that's what everybody thinks. I'm not Tony Soprano. Like, there's a lot of other people in Jersey who are not, uh, who, who don't talk like that. See, now I just said it. I said talk like that. Yep. And speaking of New Jersey, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. This new study that did come out showing a lot of blue states uh, fared worse than red states, which a lot of people were like, well, yeah, we know that. We know that's why, like, we know that. We did. We, did, we didn't really need a study on it. Um, but, yeah, trying to get Schellenberger on the show. So hopefully maybe we can get him on before it gets too, gets too crazy. Um, but... We're going to talk about that study. There's going to be another article I want to talk about in regards to... It's by Barry Weiss. Uh, you don't know who Barry Weiss is. She was a New York Times artist. She wrote for the New York Times, and now she's sort of been ostracized because she went off the reservation. Um, in their mind, she went off the reservation, but she's kind of critiqued a lot of the stuff that went on with COVID and the lockdowns and everything. So it's going to be a very COVID-heavy episode today. Hopefully, I don't get you know banned by the overlords uh, for anything like that. Um, but those are the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, looking to get uh, the podcast will be live this Friday afternoon, most likely because of, uh, you know, all the Holy Week's coming up, Easter's coming up. So there's a lot of services. So it won't be as easy as night at night. But um, yeah, so we'll be looking to do that Friday afternoon. Um, and yeah, uh, if you want to support the channel as always there's the coffee mug in the bottom i did spruce it up it, it's a lot brighter than this one this was the original one and i got comments that this was too dark and i'll agree it's a little dark um the new one is a lot brighter it pops a little bit more it's a little bit bigger so if you're looking to get yourself a california underground coffee mug to support the channel like i say all the money that i get from this or from anything, it goes right directly back into the channel. We're looking at kind of studio space and stuff like that and how we can really grow the platform to make it a lot bigger and just create more conversations in California in general. I mean, I know we talk a lot about politics, but I'm starting to think there might be a, a people who are just looking for places to go to talk about California and how weird California is and how off the rails it is and just bring a lot of people together. Not necessarily always about politics, but politics is usually behind why California is so kooky and crazy. Um, but yeah, there's also the new shirt, the uh, Stop Brownouts, Support Nuclear. That's also there. Uh, and uh, that's about it. So let's get started talking about this. This was in the New York Post. 
It was reported in a couple different places, but the New York Post has a an article about really kind of breaking it down. Um, it talks about the study published by the Committee to Unleash Prosperity graded states by comparing COVID-19 outcomes based on the number of deaths, the economy, and impact on education. Overall, the bottom 10 of the study's report card were dominated by states that had the most severe pandemic lockdowns and were among the last to finally reopen schools. Quote, shutting down their economies and schools was by far the biggest mistake governors and state officials made during COVID, particularly in blue states. Stephen Moore, one of the study's authors and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Now, I looked into the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Um, I don't know if it's just their website looks like it was built in like 1997, or maybe they've been around since 1997, and that's why their website looks like that. Uh, But I always like to kind of look at who's conducting this study to figure out you know, is there like a bias? Are they trying to just do this for one way or not? I didn't really see anything that kind of flagged me as like, this is really something that they just created this foundation. And then they came out with this study because you gotta be careful. There are studies and polls conducted. I know this may shock you, but there are polls and studies that are conducted um, to show slant to one way. Uh, Someone said, what's the topic today? A new study that came out regarding COVID policies and that the blue states like California, New Jersey, and New York ranked at the bottom and the red states did much better. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about Barry Weiss and her article about how Shanghai is coming to Sacramento. Um, Where was I going with this? Um, I forgot now. I'm now. uh, So we're talking about. And. Oh, yes. Uh, So, yeah, there are times that you'll see a poll or a study And this is just always my advice, because you know me, I'm always someone who says vet everything that you see, vet everything, don't just take everything at like face value and kind of always just dig deep into it. And there are groups that will create polls and they'll create studies to show one thing or the other. And there will be another group that is funded by somebody or they maybe they get federal dollars and all of a sudden, magically, they come up with the result that the federal government or the state government is looking for. So always be careful as to like where you're getting a lot of this stuff from. I looked at it and it didn't really look like, you know, it didn't look like it was just created yesterday and that they just put out this study to kind of dunk on blue states and be like, look, red states are better and and our policies are way better. Um, It looks like they've been around for a while. Um, It kind of reminds me, there was a poll conducted here in San Diego by one of the, the PACs. Um, and I, I put packs in quote because it's a loose term for what that pack is really doing, where it showed one candidate was leading another candidate by like double digits, but the methodology for polling was really, really bad. And in fact, that's not really true at all, but because that was their favorite candidate and the one that they endorsed, they created a poll where it looked a lot better than it really was. And now that candidate is running around saying, oh, look, I'm up by double digits. But then you look at the poll and you say, oh, actually, it's not really good. Um, So first lesson, always double check where the work is coming from. Double check who's putting this stuff out there and what their methodology is. Uh, Let's see. My home state of New Jersey was the worst performing state, the study found. Other places that also received an F grade, including California, Illinois, Washington, D.C., all blue areas, deep blue areas. Um, am I referring to the AD 76 race? Maybe, maybe I am. Um, San Diego politics as it, you know, it's a big city, but it's somebody said it's a big city, but it's a small town, San Diego. So, uh, quote, they had high adjusted 
death rates, they had high unemployment and significant GDP losses, and they kept their schools shut down much longer than almost all their states. Utah, Nebraska, Vermont, and Florida, all governed by Republicans, topped the list. The study found that the states that locked down their businesses, churches, schools, and restaurants for lengthy periods did not have lower death rates than those that largely remained open. Uh, nursing home policies may explain the poor mortality rates in some states, such as New Jersey and New York, where Cuomo faced backlash for an order that directed nursing homes to take COVID-19 patients. Meanwhile, in Florida, whose G- GOP governor DeSantis did away with COVID restrictions earlier on in the pandemic, ranked 28th in mortality, the study found. In comparison, heavily locked down California came in 27th. So only one position better than Florida, which... For as much as Newsom has been posting a lot about other states, um, if you have any doubts that he's setting himself up for a run for president, see, just look at his Twitter. His Twitter right now is basically him critiquing all other states. He he seems to just be obsessed with tweeting about other states and what's going on. And all the comments are people like, uh, we got problems here, bruh. Like, you got to fix the problems here before you start planning your run for presidency. Um, keeping schools closed had no impact on the number of deaths in children or adults, according to the study. The states that locked down the economies have had unemployment rates on average about two percentage points higher than states that did not engage in severe lockdowns. Uh, the high state unemployment rates have persisted for two years now. Most lockdown states have still not fully recovered the jobs lost in the early months of COVID. Let's see. Um, New York ranked 33rd for the least impact to education, second to last for its economic performance. California was ranked 50th for its education disruption and 40th for the economy. So California keeping its schools closed. No shocker there. Again, a lot of this stuff is stuff that I think people who tune into this or have been questioning this for about two years are sitting here going, well, yeah, like this is really... (laughs) This is what we've been talking about for two years now. Like, we've been trying to bring this up. Now, the study is nice because it does kind of give you a quantitative reason to say, look at this study that showed that here are the numbers and they can prove that, you know, Florida didn't do much worse than California. Only one per one really position worse, 27th to 28th, worse in mortality rate. In terms of economic performance and education, you can see that red states did a lot better then blue states like California, New Jersey, New York, and Illinois. Um, that's not stuff that I, I think is really kind of shocking to a lot of people who are probably tuning in right now and listening. They're probably not sitting here going, well, yeah, obviously, that's that's right. Like We all know that, but that's the quantitative part of this is that it is out there now. And um, um, I'm going to go into another article, why it's kind of like why the timing is a little bit interesting and what that really what why is this study so interesting right now so this was an article from the new york post i'll go ahead and if you listen to the audio podcast i'll put the uh, link in the show notes so you can go look at this up for yourself um because there's another article by daily mail which goes into much more in depth it really actually breaks it down by big sections like the economy mortality rate and all that stuff so you can really dive into it they show graphs and all that stuff um, but here's why they pointed out why this study is sort of really coming to light and why it's important right now. The study comes amid fears coronavirus restrictions may be phased back in as Philadelphia announced it was bringing back its indoor mask mandate only a month after lifting it as COVID cases creep up. 
the Pennsylvania city will remove its mass mandate st- or reimpose its mass mandate starting on April 18th. Health Commissioner Cheryl Bedegoli announced during a briefing. Officials also revealed COVID cases had jumped to, get ready for this, in the city of Philadelphia, city of millions of people, 149 per day. An 86% jump over the past two weeks. So, 149 per day, 86% jump. Now, that's again, that's where uh, they can play with percentages and they can try to scare people because they can say, oh, 86% jump in just the two weeks. Well, what was the number before then? So obviously it was pretty low if the jump was to 149 per day. We're not talking about thousands of people are testing positive for COVID. 149 out of the city of how many millions of people and how many people kind of going in public transit and all that stuff. Um, But I'm sure they will say like, Oh, 86%. That's the big number. That's really what, look at how scary that is. And I always tell people when you hear percentages, always look at the raw numbers because they use percentages as a way to kind of scare people or push their point a little bit better. Um, And my favorite example is if you have one apple and then you get two apples, you can tell people I had a hundred percent increase in my apple possession, which is true you had a 100% increase in your Apple percentage. It's not very, if you told people, well, I only have two apples, people would be like, well, that's not that many apples. I don't really, I don't, I don't see what you're trying to get at. Um, so percentage is always the thing that if you look at it, they'll use it to scare people and government officials love to throw out percentages. They always love to say things went up by this percentage or that percentage um, and then when you say, well, whoa, give me the raw numbers, they don't really want to talk about the raw numbers, but you can look at a lot of stuff and, and, you know, if their reporting is accurate on a lot of these sites where they give you the numbers, you can really see that a lot of these numbers aren't as scary as they make them out to be. Um, the city also reported 46 current hospitalizations, 46 again in a city of now, well, this is going to bug me. So I'm going to have to look it up because I should have looked this up before the show. But we're going to do this on the fly. In Bill O'Reilly's, we're going to do it live. Uh, Philadelphia. Apologies to anyone who lives in Philadelphia because I'm not a fan of the city and I'm not a fan of any of the sports teams. But, you know, that's just that's just me. So apologies to anyone who's from Philadelphia. I'm, I'm sure you're a wonderful person. Um, but I don't like the Phillies. I certainly don't like the Eagles. Um, I have nothing against the Flyers. I don't really follow hockey or the 76ers. I don't watch basketball. But those two teams right there, the Phillies, oof, Mets had a really bad loss to the Phillies the other night, and that broke my heart. So as of 2020, so this is a population of 1.6 million people. There were 46 hospitalizations in a city of 1.6 million I don't even want to do the math on how what percentage 46 of 1.6 million is and how many there's probably so many other things that are happening in Philadelphia that are causing hospitalizations. Um, I, it's amazing that they're, they're changing their entire lives just because of this. Uh, so the Philadelphia Public Health said on Twitter Monday, the city will now enter level two mask precautions as triggered by the recent increase in cases. What is there? Well, I wonder what the trigger is for Philadelphia that. This this little amount was what triggered them to go back into mass. To me, that seems like what you, what your COVID policy must be zero. 
Because if it's only 46% hospitalization and this triggered you rushing back to mass in indoor places, you're, you must have a COVID zero policy, which is unattainable, unattainable, and it's, it's not realistic and it's not scientific to believe COVID, there will ever be COVID zero. Um, after a week to adjust, all indoor public places like schools, businesses, restaurants, and government buildings will be required to use masking indoors. Jim Kenney, mayor of Philadelphia, said Philadelphia's COVID-19 response levels allows us to be clear, transparent, and predictable in our response to local condition. Given the rise in cases, we're moving to level two on April 18th to prevent higher case rates. Our city remains open. We can still go about our daily lives and visit the people and places we love while masking in indoor public spaces. I don't know if that's what he sounds like, but... That's my that's going to be my imitation of him. Uh, but case figures are not considered to be a reliable metric when judging the state of the pandemic by many federal officials. So Philadelphia not following the science. Where are you at, Philadelphia? Not following the science. City of Brotherly Love, not following the science. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention changed its metrics earlier this year, now valuing hospitalizations over all else when recommending mass orders on certain populations. According to CDC, Philadelphia County, which includes the city, is one of the 95% of counties considered to have low COVID risk and not recommended to wear masks indoors. So, looks like they're going against the science, according to the CDC, which was treated as all-holy and all-powerful and all-knowing and infallible. Philadelphia is going against the science, and they're going back to masks indoors. Anthony Fauci everyone's favorite, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, the top infectious disease expert, said this week Americans should decide for themselves how they want to deal with the pandemic going forward based on the amount of risk they are willing to accept. He told ABC's this week on Sunday. Let me take my drink. Hold on. Clear my throat. There will be, and we've said many times, even in our own discussions between you and I, that there will be a level of infection. This is not going to be eradicated and it's not going to be eliminated. And what's going to happen is that we're going to see each individual is going to have to make the calculation on the amount of risk that they want to take in going to indoor dinners and in going to functions. Um, That was Dr. Fauci. Uh, COVID cases are starting to rise once again in parts of the U.S. after nearly three months of declines coming off of the massive winter Omicron surge. But health officials say it's not a cause for concern because hospitalizations and deaths remain low. Dr. Ashisha Zhao, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, who also served as the dean of the Brown University, blah, 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 who cares, uh, said that despite recent case rises in more than half of the U.S. states, Americans don't have reason to be excessively concerned about the current pandemic situation. Why? Because the pandemic is not good polling for Democrats right now. So got to protect the administration. According to the most recent data, daily COVID rate cases have increased over the past two weeks in 26 U.S. states. Cases are increasing nationwide as well with data from Friday reporting an average of 36,000 daily infections, a 25% jump from the previous week. 36,000. In a country of over 300 million people, 36,000. Remember, a 25% jump. Remember that, that number. Uh, 
Raw case figures are not particularly high, though, and Ja also says that hospitalizations are currently the lowest they've been at any point in the pandemic. Sounds good, right? I mean, that's the point. We all kind of agreed that hospitalizations and deaths were really the thing that we should be looking at. The hospitals, I mean, let's let's get in the way back machine. If you're old enough like me to remember back in March of 2020, that the reason this all started was because we didn't want to overwhelm the healthcare system, right? That was the whole reason for why we did what we did. So it would make sense that we should really be looking at hospitalizations and making sure that we are not overwhelming the healthcare system. And if it looks like the raw numbers are showing, now Philadelphia had 46. 46. In a, in a city of 1.6 million, 46 people across the city went to the hospital because of COVID. Um, that's what we should be looking at. That's really what we should be focusing on. But Philadelphia doesn't seem to really want to look at it that way. They see it as cases. And so which is it? And I, I know we've asked this question a hundred times. Plenty of people have asked this question a hundred times. Um, and where do we go from here is really, I, I thought in the beginning, I thought that they wouldn't reimpose a lot of this stuff. I thought that we were kind of done with it. I thought that it was bad politics that they didn't want to, they wanted to kind of do their victory lap, that Biden was going to do his victory lap and say, we beat the pandemic. Democrats were going to take credit for, beating the pandemic, even though the pandemic was going to do what the pandemic was going to do anyway, because that's what science is. A virus doesn't give two craps about what's going on in the politics, or it doesn't give two craps about what's happening in the midterms. Uh, it's not like the virus is going, well, it's the midterms, and I want to make sure I support Joe Biden, so I'm going to go recede for a little bit. Um, but in reality, after we went back to the second mass mandate here in California, once we, we reopen and, and he had that whole noodles, had that whole big ceremony with uh, the minions at Universal Studios. I guess Disney was busy that day. They didn't want to have noodles there because uh, he had to go to Universal Studios. No offense to people who go to Universal Studios, um, but it's the lesser theme park. And he had this whole big thing. We're back and California is open and here's me juggling and here's the minions and look at all this great stuff and we're back, baby. And then we went back to mass mandates and people were like, wait a second. I thought we were we were past this. So now I don't think I'd, I'd put it past them that they are not going to just keep doing this over and over again. The amount of complacency, I don't know whether people are going to do it or not. I think after the second time, I saw a lot more people not really responding to it. I saw a lot of people who weren't listening to the mass mandate. I saw a lot of businesses that weren't enforcing the mass mandate. So I don't know if you went about a third time. Third time might be going to the well one too many times. Um, and <laughs> Universal Studios has a great date milk milkshake. Yeah, I'm sure it's fantastic. Although people are kind of like in the comments, people are let me know that date milkshakes are either disgusting or they're really, really good. And I don't know. I, you can let me know in the comments whether you think date milkshakes are really good. If, for anybody who's listening has no idea what I'm talking about. There was a post about uh, one of the assemblymen, Eduardo Garcia, is uh, pushing for the date shake, which when you say it quickly, it doesn't sound right. But it sounds weird, but he wants to make it a date shake as the official state milkshake. So 
Your tax dollars. Hard at work. Uh, let's see. where I want to finish this up, and then we can get into the Barry Weiss article. Um, Dr. Fauci also said, Americans will have to start to decide for themselves how they would like to live with the virus and that it could not be eradicated. Whoa. Groundbreaking for Dr. Fauci to say something like that. Um, it, 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 he has more stuff. Uh, it is incredibly contagious, even more contagious than the original subvariant of Omicron, and it caused a substantial spike in cases in Europe. He told Morning Joe, referring to that case spike. And we'll go on. But I don't want to keep talking about it because you can go check out the article for yourself. It's on daily. It's a really, really long article, but it's really in-depth talking about basically looking back. And hopefully we learn from it. Um, I don't know if we are learning from it. I think the only thing that politicians have learned from it is that they can use it as a cudgel and a sword to chop up your rights and limit your freedoms. And this brings me to really kind of the next point that I want to talk about. Now, I've mentioned on this show before that a lot of people say that China wants to take over the United States. Um, I don't necessarily think China wants to take over the United States. And that's my personal opinion. I don't think China really wants to take over the United States. I think they can benefit from having some sort of power over the United States and, and having that sort of relationship. Um, but I also think that they don't really want to take over the United States. However, I think there are a lot of politicians who go to China and look at their style of government and say, Hmm, how can we get what you're doing over here? Basically they're saying, look, I love what you're doing with the place. Please. Can you show us how we can do it over here in the United States? Because these pesky like constitutional rights, really, really just getting in the way of us getting our, our goals done and making the most amount of money as possible. Um, and that's really what I think is going on here. I don't think China wants to one day all of a sudden become, you know, like annex America as a another territory or anything like that. Um, but I think there are politicians who from the inside want to implement the Chinese style of government. And I've also said this before. I don't think China is necessarily a communist country. I think they wanted the communist governance. They wanted that style of governance, but they didn't want the communist economy because they are still a very capitalistic economy. As you can see, why we kind of cater to them all the time and worry about what they think about our movies or anything like that. Uh, and they care. We care about what whether they like the NBA or not. Like those are things that. I don't think we they really want a communist style economy, you know, where we share everything and the state kind of runs everything. Um, I think they just want totalitarianism. And again, I think that's stuff that our officials here who don't want to talk about the human rights abuses over in China and don't really have anything to say bad about China whenever that happen when it, whenever anything happens. Um they're just trying to implement their own style. And this article by Barry Weiss, let me pull this up real quick. Um, it's in, ah, oh, here we go. I have so many tabs open. Uh, the title of it was talking about a warning from Shanghai. And if you've seen the videos from Shanghai, they are distressing. I think 
my tweet this morning basically sums it up that the human rights abuses going on in China are the things that America used to invade countries over, or at least use as a justification to invade countries over. It may not have been really why they were invading. They could be invading for a number of reasons. They could be invading because, well, they want the oil or something like that. But they may say that we want to invade because we want to help preserve human rights. Um, But that seems to not really be the case when it comes to China and what's going on in Shanghai. The videos are are really disturbing. Um, People's pets are being taken away because you can't walk your pets outside. I don't know what you do with pets when they're locked inside all the time with you and you can't go out Uh, unless you want to figure out how to teach your dog or cat to go potty in the toilet. I don't know what you expect to do with them. Um, you know, it, it's just awful. I posted a video about people screaming from their skyscrapers because they're they're hungry and there's no food and they can't go to the store. They can't do anything. And yeah, I saw the video about cats and bags and all that stuff. Um, it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying to think that there's a place in this world that we are as an, as America are just real. We're fine with it. I guess our leaders are fine with it. I don't think the people are fine with it. I think the people see these videos and go. This is a little screwed up. This is a little effed up. Um, but our leaders obviously don't want to talk about it. You know, ask Nancy Pelosi or ask anybody about it. They don't seem to really care about what's going on over in Shanghai. And the fact that they don't shows you that, one, they have a financial interest in keeping China happy, which is true. They want to make sure China's happy because China buys a lot of our stuff. Um, and a lot of times, all these politicians are negotiating deals with China, and they're passing laws that benefit China, and then they get a kickback. And, you know, it all goes round and round and round, the, the cesspool of corruption in, in Washington, D.C. Um, but I think they also want a that style of governance here. I think they think they can somehow get that to be the issue here, where they basically turn all Americans into just tax cattle where we don't have rights, where we're just here, we work, we pay exorbitant amount of taxes. They live high on the hog. Nancy Pelosi eats out of her $30,000 fridge and freezer. And that's it. The elites basically continue to move on and live the way they want to even better than before. The rest of us are tax cattle. We can't afford a house. We can't afford the American dream anymore. And I think that's what they basically want. And there was a really good podcast I had a while back. Um, I'd have to remember the number. Um, but there was a good discussion. I had a guest on, and we talked about China's influence on California. And we talked all about this and how there are politicians who go to China and say, like, can you give us lessons on how we, uh, how can we implement this stuff here in the United States? And how can we get more of your style governance here in the United States? But it's coming to Sacramento. Um, We've talked about this on the prior podcast two weeks ago. We had a kind of legislative roundup was Assembly Bill 2098. And this is from Barry Weiss's op-ed. According to California, Assembly Bill 2098, physicians who deviate from an authorized set of beliefs would do so at the risk of their medical license. The bill written by Assemblyman Evan Lowe a Democrat in Silicon Valley, no shocker. Usually all these bills, you could bet your house on the fact that if it's a crazy 
crazy bill that you look at, it's a good chance that it comes from the Bay Area outside of the milkshake. The milkshake came from Coachella Valley. That had nothing to do with the Bay Area. Uh, and currently making its way through the California legislature is motivated by the idea that practicing doctors are spreading, quote, misinformation about the risks of COVID, its treatment, and the COVID vaccine. It declares that physicians and surgeons who, quote, disseminate or promote misinformation or disinformation related to COVID, including false or misleading information regarding the nature and risks of the virus, its prevention and its treatment and the development, safety and effectiveness of COVID vaccines shall be subject to disciplinary action, which could result in the loss of the doctor's license. The language of the bill itself is intentionally vague about what constitutes, quote, misinformation, which makes it makes it even more damaging. Doctors fearing loss of their livelihoods will need to hew closely to the government line on COVID science and policy, even if that line does not track the scientific evidence. After all, until recently, top government science bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci claimed that the idea that COVID came from a Wuhan laboratory was a conspiracy theory, rather than a valid hypothesis that should be open to discussion. The government's track record on discerning COVID truths is poor. Uh, the bill claims that the spread of misinformation by physicians about the COVID vaccines, quote, has weakened public confidence and placed lives at serious risk, end quote. But how significant is this problem in reality? Over 83% of Californians over the age of 50 are fully vaccinated, including the booster. Uh, what is abundantly clear is that this bill represents a chilling interference with the practice of medicine. The bill itself is full of misinformation and a demonstration of what a disaster it would be to have the legislature dictate the practice of medicine. I'm going to take a sip of coffee real quick. I think that Dr. Fauci voice makes your voice scratchy. Uh, this bill directs California State Licensing Board to impose disciplinary penalties, which could result in the loss of a medical license on physicians who disseminate misinformation. A loss of a license would be a career ending for doctors who spend their lives caring for patients. But since the examples cited in the bill are themselves misleading, even physicians who practice medicine responsibly or give public presentations grounded in solid scientific research on the evolving COVID science may face unjust license suspensions. Uh, going on, going on. Do, 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 do. History provides abundant examples of what happens when the state regulates science. In the former Soviet Union, Stalin's favorite geneticist, geneticist Trofim Lysenko, Lysenko, dominated biology and the agricultural sciences. Lysenko rejected Mendelian genetics in favor of his own theory that plants could inherit acquired characteristics. Stalin empowered him to destroy the careers and lives of geneticists who opposed him causing many to suffer secret arrest and even death. When the theories failed, the consequences was mass starvation in Russia. The Chinese communists also adopted his belief at the cost of starvation of 30 million people. We are not the Soviet Union, of course, nor are we ruled by Chinese communists. California lawmakers, thankfully, do not have the power currently being exercised in Shanghai. But this bill follows the same dangerous principle that government-authorized science would permit no opposition from people with the credentials and knowledge to oppose it, the false medical consensus enforced by AB 2098 will lead doctors to censor themselves to avoid government sanction, and it will be their patients, above all, who will be harmed by their silence. So that was Barry Weiss talking out about this bill, AB 2098. I think the last time we, wait, we looked, it was making its way through committee. Still has legs at this point. I think it's, a, it's Evan Lowe, and I think co-author is Dr. 
Richard Pan, one of our favorites. We're going to do this live again. Check this out where it is. And then we'll move into the comment section of where we, what people want to chat about. Uh, Assembly member Lowe co-authors uh, Aguirre Curry, Akila Weber in Wix, and co-authors Senator Pans and Wiener, of course. Pan and Wiener, uh, Wiener Pan, that's, that's just a funny name, Wiener Pan, is, uh, they always seem to be at the center of all this stuff, so let's see where it is right now. Uh, as of February 24th, it was referred to the Committee on Business and Professions. That was a while ago, so I don't know where it's at or if it's losing steam. But the fact that this was even introduced in California is, is scary, and it, it should be a wake-up call to a lot of people that Shanghai is not as far as you think it is. Um, Shanghai and their policies are closer because there are people who are pushing these policies, and they look at China and go, hmm, I think we could do that here in California. Let's give it a shot. And a lot of these things are very... Um, 1984-ish. They are very obviously Orwellian. They're very authoritarian. Um, obviously controlling truth and what is misinformation as opposed to letting people just discuss what's best because there is this old saying, I'd like to get a second opinion. Remember that when you said like, oh, I'd like to get a second opinion, meaning you go to another doctor because they probably have a differing opinion. And if they have the same opinion, then you can say, oh, I'll go back to my first doctor. But if you get the second opinion, that used to be a thing. Remember, you're allowed to have a second opinion. I guess not so much as doctors here in, in California. And she does talk about how in the article that she's had colleagues from Stanford um, who believe a lot what she's saying because she's out there. She's sort of out on the ledge doing this herself. And basically they said, look, I'm untenured. I'm a junior faculty member. I'm not going to speak up about this stuff because I want to get tenured and I have a vested interest. I've put my whole life into this study. I don't want to lose everything for this. And you're going to see it. You're going to see a lot. of. I mean, there's I think Jeffrey Burke, Dr. Jeffrey Burke, I, I think that's his name um, up in Orange County. He's one of the most proponent, biggest proponents who's always out there talking about against the COVID policies. He would probably be like, public enemy number one if this bill passed because you would have essentially him going they'd have all this all these videos and stuff about him going against what their line of truth is and they would say well you're spreading misinformation so we're going to put you in front of the disciplinary board and you're going to lose your license so it's scary um, so yeah, we went a little COVID heavy today, but that's sort of what's in the news right now. Uh, noodles just got back from central America, his, I guess, 14 day trip. He went to Costa Rica. No problem, babe. Don't worry about it. You know, um, California's falling apart. Homelessness is crazy. Uh, but sure. Go to Costa Rica and make it a big deal. All right. So we got about 15 minutes left. Um, if anybody has any comments or questions or things you want to talk about, now is the time to bring those up. Uh, wish he stayed there. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of wish he stayed there. But somebody asked before, do I really think he has a shot at the presidency? Um, uh, I'll get to that question in a second. Uh, first off, Pan is termed out, so he doesn't really have a challenger. Uh, Michael, I'm sure Michael Huang, MD, is another Democrat from his area, and probably pushes the same exact stuff. But someone had asked whether or not uh, 
I believe that Noodles can actually make it as president. And here's my thought on that. I don't think he really knows if he can become president. I don't think he has the shot to become president. I don't think a lot of people look at California and go, yeah, the way they run California, that's how I want to do it here, especially in swing states that are you know lost by a percentage point that are really, really close. I don't think there's a lot of people in those independents in those areas would look at California and go, eh, I don't want that style of governance here. Uh, I don't think in Arizona he'd be able to flip Arizona. I don't think he'd be able to flip. Uh, I'm trying to think of other big swing states. Uh, I mean, Georgia now is a, fl- a swing state. Ohio, he wouldn't be able to flip. I think a lot of people would look at him and go, he's California. I don't want, I don't want any part of it. But uh, the reason I think he wants to run is because to him it's the next it's the next thing that he wants to accomplish. Because for Gavin Newsom, his whole life has never really been about actually doing anything with the positions that he's in. He's kind of made his trajectory, and we all kind of can see his trajectory. Um, he was county supervisor, and then he was the mayor of, um, then he was the mayor of San Francisco, and then from mayor of San Francisco, I think people sort of already knew he was kind of in the running to be governor, and that everyone kind of had this feeling he was going to be governor. Uh, but then. He went to. He tried to run for governor. Jerry Brown stepped in. He became a lieutenant governor. Now he's governor. Um, and but after that, where do you go? You can't really go anywhere else unless he appoints himself senator. But that feels like a step back to go from governor to senator. So I think his next thought is that it's the next brass ring he's got to go grab is go become try and become president. I don't think he has a shot at winning. Not in today's political climate. Um, so I I don't. He, I don't think he has a shot at winning, but I think he will definitely try and try and run. Uh, Michael J. Huang for California State Senate. God, country, liberty, and respect. Doesn't sound like a Democrat. Let's restore our liberty. It's time to restore our medical freedom and fight for fight to protect our children and citizens from tyranny. I'll be honored to represent you as your state senator to defend our constitution and liberties. He's got an uphill battle. Pan's district is. I believe it's very, very liberal. So probably not the best right out the gate. But hey, he's, you know, he's got his, he's got what, you know, that's what he believes in. Go for it, man. Um, California State Senate. I'm trying to see specifically where he's, he's running. But yeah, uh, he's not challenging Dr. Pan uh, because Dr. Pan is, he's termed out. So can anybody give me the number of this? Where, where is this? Where is he running here? Cause I can look this up on Ballotpedia and see what the breakdown is. Um, I could actually just go to Ballotpedia right now and figure it out. Ballotpedia. Do, 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 do. That's a bummer. Pan's got to go. <laughs> I don't think anyone says that it's a bummer that Dr. Richard Pan has to go. Uh, Richard, Pan. I'm in Pan's district. I've had people walk up to me and compliment my grunt style shirt. So maybe not as liberal as people think. Senate seat district six. Thank you. There we go. All right. It's a lot to remember. So I, I you know, there's a lot of, it's a big state. After the BOS, BOS being served last week, is it going to lead anything? What were they served with? They were served with something. I saw the video. I don't really know what they were served with. Um, was it a lawsuit or something? 
Uh, let's see. He makes about $114,000 a year, Senator Pan. $200 a day per diem. Um, that adds up. You know, if someone gave you $200 a day to kind of do what you want with it because it's a per diem, that does add up after a while. I think Kevin Kiley is one of the only legislators who doesn't actually take his per diem. How much is 2011, $211 divided by or times by 365? Oh, okay. It's uh, $77,000. Well, probably less because they probably only give you it during the five business days. Do, 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 do. Let's see the race, the pass race. Uh, Michael Huang. Okay, so there's actually two Republicans running, Michael Huang, Roger Niello, um, and a Democrat. And that's the primaries right now. It's two Republicans. So right now, they're actually... If there's two Republicans and one Democrat and it's the primary election right now in the Senate district, uh, there's a chance you'll get a there's a good chance you'll you'll actually you'll get a Republican because it's you're going to get at least one Republican on the ballot for this Senate district. I don't know if anyone else is planning to jump in right now. Let's see. Paula Marie Vallesquez, uh at large member of the San, San Juan Unified Board of Education running for so she's not like an assembly woman who's running for this uh but pan did win in 2018 with 70 percent of the vote against eric frame who's an independent eric frame running a couple times but yeah to give you an idea of oh it was a little bit closer in that one race interesting um oh a libertarian ran in 2010 but yeah uh You'll get a Republican. So if you're in the Senate District 6, you will get a Republican. So anyway, any other questions, comments, stuff people want to chat about? Thank you to everybody who keeps adding the mug to their wish list. Thank you very much. Please let me know how it turns out. Uh, when's the next Tremino live Q&A? Tremino hasn't reached out to me, so um, I don't know. I haven't I haven't really heard from his team, so... Uh, Unless he's got anything really new to say since the last time. Um, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of other candidates to get to. And I've said this before. I don't want to just focus on the governor's race because that's um, that's really not what it's about. And, and governor is not going to change anything. So it's really about the local races. It's about assembly. It's about Senate. It's about your local school boards, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face. Um, it, it, that's the stuff that really matters. That's the stuff that really is, is what's going to make a big difference here. So you can focus on governor. You know, I, I told you I've been following Michael Schellenberger a little bit more. Um, I highly recommend if you haven't listened, check out his podcast with Joe Rogan. A lot of good common sense stuff, you know, like, hey, just here's our issues and here's how we can go forward. Kind of refreshing. So, uh, better question is when he's going to face the music and debate Daniel Mercury, you know, the one he keeps stealing material from, Ooh, there's tea. Is there, is there really tea between Daniel Mercury and Anthony Tremino? Is this like a real feud or is this something like Daniel Mercury is, is trying to get going to believe there's a feud. 
I haven't heard if there's a feud or not between Daniel Mercury and Anthony Tremino. Um, it will be interesting, though, um, to see how the uh, convention goes, which is coming up this next week, I believe, right? The only reason I know is because I wanted to go and be there, but uh, we'll be out of town. So there is zero feud. Okay. I, I mean, I hadn't heard anything, so I, I didn't know there was a if there was a feud between Daniel Mercury and Anthony Tremino or it was sort of just um, if it was something that they were just kind of drumming up to create press. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they get behind at the Republican convention. I fully expect they'll get behind Brian Dolly. Um, yeah, and that's that's basically... I think they'll get behind Brian Dolly. They'll get behind the establishment person. I mean, if there's any, if there's any indication of who they're going to go with, <coughs> excuse me, if there's any indication of who the California GOP is going to go with, just look at their endorsement of Scott Bow. I mean, Scott Bow dropped that video. Guy is crooked as they come. Um, he's been an establishment bully for how many years? I mean, he's been the attack dog for the establishment for decades. And he's been at the middle of a lot of really shady stuff. And the California GOP and the Orange County GOP was like, yeah, he's our guy. Let's go with that guy. Um, So if that gives you any idea, the California GOP just continues to frustrate me to the point where I just go, I I don't even know why anybody's a Republican anymore in California. And they go, and then uh, I can imagine they sit around, you know, Jessica Milan Patterson and her, her, her probably a bunch of yes people around her go, you know why are we why are we not connecting with Californians? I just don't get it. why are we not why are we not doing better in California? I mean, California is so bad, and we have so much material and so much opportunity to present a better argument. Why are we just not doing better? I don't know. Let's endorse Scott Bow. Okay, he's great. Like, what? I'd love to be a fly on the wall in a lot of these meetings because a lot of times. If you ever go to convention and you start to see the inner politics, um, and I've had conversations with candidates offline, that it it basically is still the California GOP, and the Democrats are that way too. It's just they're winning, and they're doing what they're supposed to do, and California GOP hasn't figured out that they should adapt. Basically, it's adapt or die. Um, that it's still sort of like an old boys club where it's basically oh, there's a lot of people who are threatened by change. They don't want to change. They think everything's fantastic. They think if they just keep doing what they're doing, people will all of a sudden magically wake up one day and become a Republican. And in reality, that's not the case at all. But, you know, they got someone like Jessica Milan Patterson, who I, I don't have anything personally against. I always have to say that I've never met her in person. I've heard that she's a lovely woman. Um, and but she was an insider she was an establishment pick she was in the she had kind of worked her way up through the california gop in all the offices and all that stuff and worked her way up and they picked her and it's been how many years since 2018 or whatever well 2018 was the race with travis allen so it was like a year or two later he ran for california gop chairman and they went with jessica milan patterson over travis allen and i don't blame travis allen he's just dropped out of politics probably because he threw his hands in the air and said this is freaking ridiculous i I can't do anything with this party um 
California GOP needs to get some fresh perspective on what's really going on in California. I agree. And it's super frustrating. Um, it is very, very frustrating. And what are you going to do? So we'll see. We'll see what happens next week at the convention. I imagine they'll they'll get behind Brian Dolly and they'll endorse him because he's their you know prototypical sort of pick, and that's that's it. And he'll hopefully I don't you know I I'm rooting for a Michael Schellenberger Gavin Newsom runoff few or or race in November, mostly because I think. Brian Dolly hasn't brought anything to the table. Um, I I mean, outside of the the age old red meat and stuff that he believes people will get behind, I don't think he's really done anything that really catches my eye. So I know that's probably breaking news. People are gonna be like, "Oh my gosh, you don't want a Republican running? What what Republican really is is gonna give Noodles a run for his money?" And again, I've always talked about this. It's I don't care where you come from. I want a blueprint candidate who is going to make the blueprint for how to run and win in California and make things better here in California. Like that's all I care about. That's what I want to see. I want to see California get better. Um and if somebody else has better ideas, then I'm going to go with the person who has better ideas not because they have a, a an R or a D next to their name. I'm going to go, "Hey, look, you have better ideas." And that's the bottom line because at the end of the day, I just want it to get better. I think a lot of people listening, a lot of people tuning in right now are saying, I just want it to get better too. I just want it to, I want the craziness to stop and I want California to be somewhat normal again. I want it to be the state that I came here for. I was raised here and that's what I want to come for. And that's what I, I'm here to support. So, so yeah, that's my thoughts. I don't know how we got on that tangent. Oh, Daniel Mercury and Anthony Tremino. Whether two people who won't be endorsed by the California GOP are having a feud because that doesn't really make a difference. Some of my more Christian conservative friends are looking at Schellenberger really surprised me. I mean, I mean, his platform is, I mean, I don't really want to get down to, you know, a big theological discussion right now. Um, if you look at a lot of his stances, a lot of his stances are are compassionate. And if you're talking about Christianity and the true really kind of message of Christianity, it's about compassion for your fellow man and caring about your fellow man. And um, I think you look at his plans and you look at what he wants to do and his, I mean, his book, I, I want to do a book review on San Francisco, San Francisco, which I've been reading um, one of these days. And uh, yeah, it's, you look at that, if you're a Christian, you look at his platform and go, that's that's the platform, really. That's that's it. So, um, all right. Any final comments or questions? Do, 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 do. Taking one last sip of coffee. So, hopefully we can get him on. It'd be great to have uh, Michael on. Uh, Schellenberger would make better coverage and awareness campaigning. Probably, yeah. And we'll see. I think even if he loses, I think, again, it's about that sort of blueprint where people can go, look, he ran on these issues and he proposed these solutions and they were popular with Californians 
and the way he ran his campaign looked like a path forward, we should start to figure out how to push that path forward. Um, so I applaud him for trying to do something. You know, first one through the wall is always bloodied and always gets the, the worst uh, the worst of it. But, um, but yeah, some of his ideas on trigger issues are rather vague and don't really align on conservative values. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a former Democrat. He's 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 come out and said that. Um, but he he's sort of the same way that a lot of people say, well, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. His whole thing was um, I it kind of got away from me to the point where it got so far left and woke and all that stuff that like I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So now he's independent. But he's a blueprint. It's worth worth looking at. So we'll see where that goes. Um, but in the meantime, there's still going to be a lot of people coming on the podcast who are um, who are assembly Senate running for these positions. A lot of local California. I was glad to have Kelly on last week. Kelly Cardin, who is a libertarian running for Kern County Board of Supervisor. So if you're out in Kern County, definitely check him out. Definitely support him. He's really running a grassroots campaign. So make sure you, if you like what he had to say, he's in your district and you want to support him, definitely throw him five, 10, 20 bucks, whatever you can do. It all helps. Um, you know, you're not getting the big backing from a huge political establishment party with the Libertarian Party. It's a lot of grassroots. They're, they're getting things together. Um, but yeah, a lot of candidates like that who are really just kind of saying, I'm stepping up, I'm going to do something. Because I'm tired of here, you know, I'm t- I want to live here. I want to raise my kids here. So I'm going to go out there and fight and do something about it. So there's a lot of politicians, a lot of a lot of candidates who are lining up to talk on the podcast. And, and I'm excited for all of them. It's going to be a busy, busy year. So with that said, next week, things are a little weird. It'll be out. Um, so there won't be any coffee in California politics next week. I apologize. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll be traveling, and um, but there will be a podcast next week, so check out where the podcast is going to be. Um, as always, if you like it, make sure you tell other people about it. I always ask people, if you like it and you like this podcast and you like listening to it, tell one person, text one person, say, hey, you should check this out because that helps grow the platform. And as always, thank you to everybody who always supports, who've been buying the mugs and the shirts and all that stuff um and all that stuff so all of it goes to support the platform help grow the platform get it to the next level and help reach more people and create more conversations which is always the goal of this podcast is to create more conversations so with that said thank you to everyone for tuning on i won't see you next week uh because of travel but i will see you i'll see you on the next one all right hopefully see you friday afternoon later Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 